Hello, hello, hello. Is there anybody in there? Just not if you can hear me. Is there anyone home? Come on, come on now. I hear you feeling down. Well, I can ease your pain. Get you on your feet again. Just the basic facts. Can you show me where it hurts? There is no pain you are receding. A distant ship, smoke on the horizon. You are only coming through in waves. Your lips move. What you say when I was a child, I had a neighbor. My hands felt just like two balloons. Now I got that feeling once again. I can't explain, you would not understand. This is not how I.
Father, we confess that uh, we all have become comfortably numb. We wrap ourselves in justifications and explanations. We hide from the truth in the dark little bubble that we create inside our heart. And we become enchanted with darkness. So, Lord God, we pray that you would help us to preach. Help us to preach to each other. Help us, Lord Jesus, to receive your word deep into our hearts and burst that shell that we wrap ourselves so tightly in. Shine your light, Lord Jesus, and make us new. May we walk in the light as you are in the light. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, this is the front page of the Rocky Mountain News from last Wednesday. Do you, how many of you get the Rocky Mountain News? Did you see this? That's all gets the Rocky Mountain News? The newspapers really are going down. But this is, this is what it says on the, on the cover. One day, three trillion dollars. In a season of staggering numbers, Tuesday's tally was still a stunner. The White House, the Senate, and the Fed each took a turn on the front lines against an economic crisis that continues to grow deeper and more dire. The bottom line, up to three trillion more to revive a withering economy. Three trillion. Now, I'm no like uh, money genius or anything, but I do know a little bit about math. And if there are 300 million people in the United States of America, that equals $10,000 per person, per person. $60,000 for the Hyatt household last Wednesday. And the national debt is already $9 trillion, $9 trillion. Uh, so we split it even Stephen, okay? Let's say we all split it even Stephen. That's $30,000 for every man, woman, and child. That's $180,000 on top of the $60,000 for the highest. That's $240,000. I can't pay that. We're in a crisis. People are losing their jobs. Businesses are failing. We're still involved in two wars. The whole world is in crisis, and it seems like the church should have something to say about that. I know people want me to talk about it. Who's to blame? What can we do about it? Well, I think I know. National debt rose drastically under George Bush because of his policies. It's clear it's going to rise even more under Barack Obama. But you know, George Bush made it clear that Jesus Christ is his personal Lord and Savior. Well, that's what Barack Obama said too. Personal Lord and Savior. Same thing. Now, you would think that that would help, wouldn't you? I mean, religion has got to be good for something, right? Right? But in my experience, religion really just doesn't work. It doesn't really make 
my life work. You know, I worked at my last church for 15 years, and I, I think I did lots of things wrong, yet the church grew like crazy, like crazy. Big budget, big building, big attendance. And yet, you know, when I thought that I did most things right and least things wrong, I mean, walked in the most courage, integrity, truth, looking to Jesus, the church didn't grow, and I got slandered and fired. All I'm saying is that the world is really screwed up. And following Jesus doesn't seem to make it work any better. <laughs> Usually worse. So many times during the last couple of years, I've, I've, I've wondered to Jesus out loud. I mean, this has been my prayer. I pray, Jesus, uh, I don't get it. Why would anyone follow you? You don't work. And, and now, let me say, I know he can work. I know he can, because I have seen, believe me, absolutely stunning miracles. I have seen him work. It's just I can't seem to make him work. And even if he does work, make your life work, make your world work, you, you know that it's not for long, right? Because we're all going to die. All our judgments, all our works reduced to dust. So who's to blame? Obama? George Bush, Alan Greenspan, who's to blame? And what can we do about it? Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed. More than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field, on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God curses the snake. Now there's a whole lot that's a mystery about the snake, about Satan, and I preached some sermons on it last year. They're on the website called The Abyss and The Abyss 2 if you want to look at them. But there's a whole lot of mystery around the serpent. But Scripture makes it clear that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 1 John 5, 19, he's cast out of the garden, thrown down from heaven into the earth where we live. Verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, this is interesting, but God doesn't curse Eve. But it's like he curses her work in this world, in the place where she was made to experience the greatest fulfillment and fruit. In that place, there's now frustration and pain, futility, her life will not work. Verse 17. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. 
In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, the Adamah. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Well, God doesn't curse Adam either, but he curses his environment. He curses his world. He curses our world. So in the place where Adam was made for fulfillment and fruit, he will experience futility, working the ground, the Adamah. The ground will work him, Adam. For as he works the dust, he'll be reminded that he is dust, and to dust he will return and his life won't work. Well, God doesn't curse Adam and Eve. And yet it's like with their own judgments, they've already been cursed. God said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Literally in the Hebrew, it reads, the day you eat of it, dying, you shall die. You will be like the walking dead, like zombies and vampires lusting for human flesh and blood, but a broken bloodshed. So let me summarize what we've just learned, okay? What we've just learned is this. We live in a goddamned world ruled by Satan and populated by the living dead. Now that could have something to do with the $9 trillion deficit. <laughs> the collapse of the stock market, the war in Iraq, and the war in Afghanistan, and why the institutional church always seems to fall apart. You know, we like thinking that we're in control. But you see, I don't think it's simply George Bush's fault or Barack Obama's fault or the EPC's fault or your fault or my fault or simply Adam and Eve's fault. Scripture is clear. God accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. That's Ephesians chapter 1. And God subjected the creation to futility. That's Romans chapter 8. And God consigned all men to disobedience. That's Romans chapter 11. So all men are to blame for disobedience, yet God is the one who cursed the earth with futility. All men are to blame for disobedience, yet God consigned them all to it. And so God is not the author of evil, Scripture says. And yet it appears he is the author of our struggle with evil. Think about it. Why would he plant a tree of life in the garden? Unless he expected someone to die. He plants a tree of death and a tree of life in the midst of the garden. It's like he's planning for a death and resurrection. Even more, he's setting the stage for it. And so he set it up. And then he damned the world. So if you've been thinking, what is wrong with this goddamned world? 
That's it. It's God damned. You live in a God damned world. Now, that is incredibly bad news if you're highly invested in this world. And yet, it's incredibly good news if you're not, if you're last and you're least. If you're reviled and persecuted, slandered, despised, and betrayed. G.K. Chesterton wrote this, The Christian optimism is based on the fact that we do not fit into the world. The modern philosopher had told me again and again that I was in the right place, and I had felt depressed in acquiescence. But then I heard that I was in the wrong place, and my soul sang for joy. You know, if this is the right place, I had a terrible day. (laughs) But if this is the wrong place, well, if this is the wrong place, I had a really good day for living in a goddamned world ruled by Satan and populated with zombies. (laughs) And now let me say, if if you're worried that I've been taking God's name in vain, I'm not. (laughs) And I'm not cursing. I'm simply stating that God has cursed. In fact, I'm reciting Orthodox Christian theology. What's wrong with this world? It's been damned by God. And what can we do about it? Basically, nothing. You see, the Republicans and Democrats can argue about the very best way to stimulate the economy, but really they're just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. The ship is going down. (laughs) All the religions in the world, all the Bible verses in the world will not undo God's decree. To dust you shall return. Not even Jesus will undo God's decree. Why? Because he is God's decree. He's God's word. So you say, oh, okay, but, but Jesus saves. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But it's worth asking, saves you from what? You may say, well, well, he saves us from death. Yeah, but it's not as if you won't have to die. It's not as if you weren't already dead. 1 Corinthians 15, in Adam, all die. We live in a world that's been cursed, is ruled by evil, and filled with the walking dead. According to Scripture, our situation is a lot like this. A lot of waiting around. There'll be the chest. Inside be the gold. We took them all. We spent them and traded them. Infected them away. Drink and food and pleasurable company. The more we gave them away, the more we came to realize the drink would not satisfy. Food turned to ash in our mouths. And all the pleasurable company in the world could not slake our lust. We are cursed men, Miss Turner. Look! The moonlight shows us for what we really are. We are not among the living, and so we cannot die. But neither are we dead. For too long I've been parched of thirst and unable to quench it. 
too long I've been starving to death and haven't died. I feel nothing, not the wind on my face, nor the spray of the sea, nor the warmth of a woman's flesh. You best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one. Maybe you're in one. <laughs> I mean, maybe you are. Maybe you're in a ghost story. Maybe you're in one. Maybe you are one. Does it sound familiar? Took something forbidden? Trying to be like God, yet no longer with God? Now the drink won't satisfy, the food turns to ash in your mouth, you saved your life and lost it, gained the whole world and forfeited your soul. Now you're stuck in a ghost story. Verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. We'll talk about that later. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Well, therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. To guard the way to the tree of life. Why? So Adam wouldn't take and live forever in a ghost story, dying and never dead. God bars the way so Adam won't live forever dead. So he won't live forever in hell. God will not allow this hell to be an end in itself. And do you see what that means? Do you see what that means? It means that the ghost story, it means that the living death, it means that the hell and now the curse all has a purpose. It means that when God delivers his people up to Satan, he delivers them up for the destruction of the flesh, the death of the living death. It means he delivers them for a reason. <laughs> In Greek, a logos. And the logos is good. Remember what God said in verse 17? Cursed is the world, the earth, the ground for your sake, Adam. Cursed is the world for your sake, Adam and Eve. Broken is the world. I will make sure it does not work because I love you, Adam and Eve. Listen to Romans 8.19. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. They haven't been revealed yet. It's not yet the seventh day. We're still in the sixth day. Eager longing for the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself 
will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in travail together until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves are the first fruits, fruits, fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Hope that in God will bear fruit. For alone, <laughs> we are desolate and barren, futile. But you see, it was God who subjected creation to futility. And he did it in hope. I think we cursed ourselves and God cursed our cursing. Understand? God's curse, love's curse, is a blessing. Poverty, hunger, weeping, mourning in this world are a blessing. Jesus said it, blessed are you poor. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you who mourn now. Blessed for a reason. Cursed is the world for our sake, the children of Adam. Do you see why? Now, I, I want to... Um, look at some of the overheads we've looked at at the past and hopefully pull all of this together. If you're new and you haven't been around, we've been talking about Genesis really for two years. And gosh, it gets so cool because it all comes together and I don't know how to say it. So hopefully you'll go back online and listen to it. But, but if you remember, at Satan's tempting, Eve tried to make herself in God's image with the knowledge of good and evil, the law. So she comes to know all about God, but no longer knows God. In other words, she knows about the good, but she no longer knows good, because you see, good is God. In other words, Eve tries to make him work for her. She tries to take his attributes and crucifies his heart. You know, when a child is spoiled, that child has learned to love his father's attributes and possessions more than his father's presence and his father's heart. A spoiled child is a miserable child. For a spoiled child has everything he wants, but he can no longer want that thing that he most desperately needs, the love of his father. And so without that, drink doesn't satisfy Food turns to ash in his mouth. He may be surrounded by wealth, yet he's trapped in hell. Dostoevsky wrote this. Hell is the suffering of being unable to love. And so a good father will subject his child's hell to futility. <laughs> a good father will make sure that his child's hell does not work for him. And that he, the father, does not work for him. And that's when it's working. Well, Eve takes the fruit to judge herself and to justify herself, to make and create herself. When Eve and old Adam judge themselves, they create an image of themselves, a false self, the self that they create. Remember this, this overhead from 
last few weeks. This is the kingdom of my judgments. My judgments are disobedience and sin. And so they create a void of darkness and death. This is my flesh. This is my false self, my old Adam. This is the me that I make, the self. Adam and Eve, they hide this self. They hide their judgments from God's judgment, because God's judgment's like all over the place. They, I spelled that wrong, don't judge me. Um, They hide their judgments from God's judgment in justifications. In other words, they cover their shame, see right here, shame covered, with leaves from the tree. And they, they hide in the trees. They hide in the law. They, they cover themselves and they protect themselves with those leaves. They use their knowledge of good and evil and the works of their flesh. That is, they use religion to hide themselves from God. Hide the dust from the breath. The dirt from the seed, the dark from the light, their death from life, their sin from grace. So as we preached last time, this dark bubble right here in which they hide is the beginning, just the beginning of hell. By that we mean Hades, Sheol, outer darkness, the place they hide from God. According to Scripture, Hades is in time, and time comes to an end, and Jesus is the end, and yet Jesus is eternal life. God is eternal. And according to Scripture, Hades begins here and this world, and yet it extends into the grave, the ground that's been cursed. Sheol and Hades are in the ground, and we live on the skin of the ground, between heaven and hell, life and death. In Jesus, God descended to earth. God uh, descended to earth, and he subjected himself to futility. This is futility, if ever there was futility. God descended to earth and subjected himself to futility. Scripture says he became sin for us. And so he died for us and he died with us, cursed for us and with us. Jesus Christ and him crucified is God naked. (laughs) They crucified him naked. Jesus Christ and him crucified is God broken. Jesus Christ and him crucified is God subjected to futility, not the attributes of God, but the heart of God. You see, in a very wonderful and amazing way, Jesus Christ and him crucified is God not working. Because that's what a man on a cross is. Life not working. 
Jesus is God not ignoring the curse or simply eliminating the curse. He is God bearing the curse and fulfilling the curse and revealing that he is grace. And Eve, he's revealing that he's good. You know, so many times in the past few years, Jesus seemed like he just wasn't working to me, like he was broken, wasn't making my life work. And yet, you know, in in a few moments, in just a few moments, I did think to myself, I remember thinking this, you know, I don't care if he works for me. I don't care if he makes my life easy or if he makes my church grow. Uh, I don't care if he costs me my job. I, I, I just want to know him. For now I think I see him. And he is good. He's just so good. He alone is good. He's good even if he doesn't work for me. And ironically, you see, that's when he does work for me. A new me. Not the old me. You see, uh, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Here he is, look at that. Jesus Christ and him crucified is God's judgment. Um, God's judgment even on me. God's judgment of me. God's judgment about me. He is God's judgment of my judgments. Scripture says he became a curse for me. He is God's curse of my cursing. Does that make sense? My kingdom of curses. He curses it. He is the death of my death, my living death. He is the condemnation of my kingdom of condemnations, the judgment of my kingdom of judgments. Listen to Paul in Romans. In Christ, God condemned sin in the flesh. You see, my judgment is sin. God's judgment is grace. When I surrender my judgment to God's judgment, I surrender my sin to his grace. And he gives his grace for my sin, body broken and blood shed. And Christ is formed in me. The old earthen vessel is filled with glory. The vessel of wrath becomes a vessel of mercy. My judgments, see, my judgments are replaced by God's judgment. My disobedience forms the shape of God's mercy. My sin makes space for God's grace. My darkness becomes the place of his light. My death becomes his life. For you see, this is temporal. This is eternal. Mortality must put on immortality. That's how Paul says it. Paul writes, you are already seated in the heavenly places with him. Isn't that amazing? You've got one of these already eternal in the heavens. 
He writes, as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. So in other words, here, I'll, I'll clean this up for you because I know I made a mess. But you have, you have an old man, your kingdom of judgments, and you have a new man, God's judgments, mercy, grace, light, and life. Yet you see, we must surrender this in order to receive that and believe that. Surrender hell in order to receive heaven. Surrender this old man to live in the new man. And here's the problem. We think this old man is us. But it's a lie. It's not us. We think our judgments are God's judgments. We think our death is really life. We're comfortably numb. We think our darkness is light. We think hell is is heaven. I mean, if we could, we'd just stay in the bushes, in the dark, covered in fig leaves. If we could, we'd stay in darkness and death. If we could, we'd stay comfortably numb in hell, surrounded by heaven, trapped in ourselves, forever spoiled, self-centered, miserable, and alone. And so God, in Christ Jesus, descends into our hell through the mouth right there body broken and bloodshed revealing his love in Jesus the inner witness and God attacks our hell from the outside with futility a curse he does what every good father does for a spoiled child he makes it so his miserable life doesn't work so we'd lose our lives and surrender to his you see, true religion works because it doesn't work. In other words, Jesus came to help us, I've got to write on this one, help us die. Jesus came to help us lose our lives so we could find them. Here it is, it fell on the floor. You see, Jesus does save us. He saves us from what? Ourselves. <laughs> Our old man. He saves me from the self that wants to run everything, own everything, rule everything, be the Lord of everything, and so kill everything, and sit alone in the empire of my own selfishness. Hell. See, Jesus didn't come to save that self. <laughs> he came to save us from that self. It's called sin. He didn't come to make this world work for you, but to help you die to this world so that you could live in his. And so much of what passes, I think, for Christianity is directly opposed to Christ. A lot of times even in me. Directly opposed to the sacrifice of the self because it's all about the preservation of the self, making this life work for you. So much religion is how to defend hell by fortifying the self, how to save the self and protect the self with your knowledge of good and evil, your list of rules, and the works of your flesh. You know, taking God's name in vain, you know what that is? I think it's using God's name for your own vain purposes. 
It's what we religious people do all the time. So we can be successful, religious successful people, successful in this world. But success in this world just means you won't have to cry out for mercy. Success in the world, right, Soren Kierkegaard? Success in the world is the most frightful punishment. Because in God's view, this world is immersed in evil. But God sends suffering to those whom he loves as assistance to enable them to become happy by loving him. And now if you're feeling left out because you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm kind of a success. I'm a success in the world. I'm not poor, hungry, meek, and in mourning. Well, have courage. I have good news. You'll die. (laughs) You see, that's good news. All of your successes will ultimately fail. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Dust to dust and ashes to ashes. You have been blessed by a curse. Isn't that wild? Next Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. It's a tradition uh, for the last, I don't know, 1,500 years or so for people to go to church and have ashes put on their forehead as the priest says something about dust to dust and ashes to ashes. It's a way to remember that we are living in an old man, an old body of flesh. And so when you uh, put the ashes on your forehead, you remember that you die. Tonight when we have communion, we have these bowls of ashes. And there'll be people at each station. Before you get communion, I encourage you to let them make the sign of the cross on your forehead. So ash people, okay, you're at the start of the line. So you go through, they make the sign of the cross on your forehead, and you remember that you are ash, you are dust, and to dust you will return. But when you surrender to that, you make way for Easter. See, it's a reminder that you have an old man and he's only temporary. He's only dust. So you can let him go. You can die. And then you have communion. And it's a reminder of your new man. In fact, it's the very presence of your new man, the new man in you. He's eternal and cannot die and you will live. Even though you die, yet you will live. And so we have an economic crisis on our hands. We have two wars and a sinking ship. And now you know why. And you see, actually, there is something that we can do about it. It looks like nothing, but actually, it's everything. There is something we can do about it. We can die. And when we die, that's when we live. Not just at the end, but tonight, right now. In 1914, the Empress of Ireland sank off the coast of Canada. 1,015 people drowned that night. 109 of those were Salvation Army officers. Not a one of them were found with life vests on their bodies. The few survivors told how the Salvation Army officers discovered those that 
discovered that there weren't enough life preservers to go around, and so they would run up to people on the ship, take off their life preservers and strap them even on big, strong men and say, here, take this. I can die better than you. God subjected creation to futility in hope. Hope that you would be made in his image. Hope that you would learn to die and live like his son. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. Do this remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. And so we invite you to come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. The dark cups are wine. The lighter cups are juice. They are both the life of Christ. And let me say one other thing. Suicide is not dying to yourself. Suicide is exerting yourself with yourself. It's the self-seizing control. It's the living death. But love is dying to yourself. Love is dying and living. And in this is love, that he died for us. In Jesus' name, ingest the gospel and live the gospel. Amen. Well, you know, people only get crucified in a world that's been cursed. <laughs> you see, it was a setup because your Father in heaven wanted to show you his heart. <laughs> and so the angels long to look into your salvation. And now why don't you just look around at the people around you. Look into their salvation, okay? Now, I forgot to say if you don't want the dust on your head, you can just say whatever. And so if you didn't get that's fine or whatever. But most people, I think, have the dust on their head. So go, just go ahead and look at them, okay? All right? And then when you, when you look in the mirror, you want to see the same thing, okay? The dust on your head. And I just think this is so cool because this really tells us what we need to know. And if we really believe it, it changes everything about how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to the people around us. Because you see, that person next to you that I said was the sanctuary that is so valuable, the most holy thing that you will ever see, what you are is a bag of dust containing the life of God. You know, that means you can have a little understanding and compassion on the person next to you because they're just dust, <laughs> okay? I mean, what do you want from dust, okay? And yet you better honor them and you better respect them because they contain the very life of God and it is indestructible. And so in Jesus' name, believe the gospel and live love. Amen.